0: Welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and this is episode 111, so all the ones. Hooray! Um, And this is the second in our series which is called Beyond a Joke and um, it's a series where I talk to various people about things that have made them laugh. And um, in the episode today, I'm talking to Johnny Potts, the wonderful Johnny Potts. Um, Johnny will introduce himself after I finish. Um, it was a fantastic conversation. And um, Johnny was generous and brought to the conversation the topic of Nikolai Gogol's short story called The Nose. Um, it's an amazing short story. It's highly easy to find so if you do feel like reading it before you listen to this episode if you just um, google the nose by um, Nikolai Gogol um, you'll find it and chances are you've already read it Um, especially um, yeah I, I think Uh, sorry I was gonna say something silly but yeah I I always try at every opportunity to teach this story because I think it's an amazing story I love it it's funny Um, so yeah I talked to Johnny Potts about the nose and um, yeah it's a great conversation there are a few links um, that might be interesting to see and which brings me to um, yes just to remind you to um, come over and subscribe at our Substack, Better Off Red has a Substack now, um, and yeah, thanks so much to everyone who subscribed. It's fantastic. I feel already kind of, um, yeah, like there's a m- more of a community around, um, which is just so nice. Um, yeah, it feels like I'm making these podcasts for someone, um, which is really lovely. So thank you very much to everyone who subscribed. Thank you to all the people that have made um, financial um, offerings. Um, i really really appreciate that um, um it's it's really helping the um podcast to sort of be sustainable so thank you very much for that if you haven't already come on over and subscribe at the better off read Substack. um yeah i think that's everything i hope you enjoy this conversation um I, yeah i did i really enjoyed it so yeah here you go thanks heaps here is johnny potts and me talking about the nose by Nikolai Gogol.
1: This is when Kovelyov goes to place an advertisement in the paper for his missing nose. I want, Kovelyov began, something very fishy has been going on, whether it's some nasty practical joke or a plain case of fraud, I can't say as yet. All I want you to do is to offer a substantial reward for the first person to find the blackguard, name please. Why do you need that? I can't tell you, too many people know me. Mrs. Chiktariev, for example, who's married to a state counsellor. Mrs. Patochkin, a staff officer's wife. They'd find out who it was at once, God forbid. Just put collegiate assessor, or even better, major. And the missing person was a household serf of yours? Household serf? The crime wouldn't be half as serious. It's my nose that's disappeared. Hmm, strange name. And did this Mr. Nose steal much? My nose. I'm trying to say you don't understand it's my own nose that's disappeared it's a diabolical practical joke someone's played on me how did it disappear i don't follow i can't tell you how but please understand my nose is traveling at this very moment all over town calling itself a state counselor that's why i'm asking you to print this advertisement announcing the first person who catches it should return the nose to its rightful owner as soon as possible Imagine what it's like being without such a conspicuous part of your body. If it were just a small toe, then I could put my shoe on and no one would be any the wiser. On Thursdays, I go to Mrs. Chicktariot's. She's married to a state councillor. And Mrs. Podochkin, who has a staff officer for a husband and a very pretty little daughter as well. They're all very close friends of mine. So just imagine what it would be like in my state. How can I visit any of them the clerk's tightly pressed lips showed he was deep in thought i can't print an advertisement like that in our paper he said after a long silence what why not i'll tell you a paper can get a bad name if everyone started announcing his nose had run away i don't know how it would all end and enough false reports and rumors get past editorial already but why does it strike you as so absurd I, i i certainly don't think so That's what you think. But only last week there was a similar case. A clerk came here with an advertisement just like you. It cost him two rubles 73 kopecks. All he wanted to advertise was a runaway black poodle. And what do you think he was up to really? In the end, we had a libel case on our hands. The poodle was meant as a satire on a government cashier. I can't remember what ministry he came from. But I want to publish an advertisement about my nose, not a poodle, and that's as near myself as damn it. Nope, I can't accept that kind of advertisement. But I've lost my nose. Then you'd better see a doctor about it. I've heard there's a certain kind of specialist who can fix you up with any kind of nose you like. Anyway, you seem a cherry sort, and I can see you like the happy little joke. By all that's holy, I swear I'm telling you the truth. If you really want me to, I'll show you what I mean. Clark continued taking a pinch of snuff. However, if it's really no trouble, he added, leaning forward out of curiosity. Then I shouldn't mind having a quick look.
0: Hello, Johnny. How are you?
1: Well, thank you, Pip. Nice to see you.
0: Lovely to see you too. Thanks heaps for coming along and talking about this amazing thing. Um, I was wondering if we could start with you introducing yourself. Would you be willing to introduce yourself to everybody, please?
1: Sure. My name's Johnny and I live in Wellington and um, sometimes I write things and perform them and the rest of the time I try to watch things and read things and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm trying to rebrand as uh, like a, a, a reader and watcher more than a, more than a doer, you know?
0: Wow. I really, sorry, I'm already interested in going off script, but I really feel like reading and watching is controversial hot take. I think it's as creative as doing. I don't know.
1: Someone said that um, that writing is just reading to the point of overflow.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. I love that. It's so true, though, eh? Like, it's just one without the other is just not as much fun. Speaking about reading, um, you have chosen an awesome object for us to talk about today. So I asked you to choose an object that makes you laugh or something that's made you laugh in the past or sort of around that um, universe. Do you want to describe the object that you've chosen for the conversation today?
1: Sure. Uh, I chose the Gogol short story, The Nose, from, I think, 1836 it's from, written in St. Petersburg, uh, the satirical thing that – and, and I realise that that sounds sort of like, you know, oh, who's your favourite comedian? Is it James Thurber? You know? But one of the reasons I like it that I'm sure we'll talk about is that it's it's so immediate in its humour that it, it reminds me of um, some of the more immediate stuff that's made me laugh, be it stand-up or, or stuff on TV or jokes. You know, there's a very pure sort of humour about it.
0: Can I um dig into that idea even before I ask you um the next question this idea of immediacy i I am in love with um slapstick like I find nothing funnier than someone falling down, which is probably means I'm a terrible person. Is that the sort of immediacy you're talking about in this story, or is there a way of sort of pulling out that idea of immediacy in it?
1: There is slapstick in this story mm,
0: um mm. there's a
1: there's a bit where um uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk about the structure of it soon, but there's a bit where uh, a doctor comes to reattach the nose to the protagonist's face, and just sort of hits him and says "Hmm," after every time <laughs> he does something that causes him physical pain, and then just says "Nope, can't be done," and walks out. Which is, <laughs> which is you know Buster Keaton, you know. Yeah. Just, um, but um, the thing that the thing that got me when I read it for the first time uh, was. Was that you know? There's always got to be sort of this feeling of um, I can't be, I can't believe what I'm reading for the audacity of what of what I'm seeing. Is this real? And this is probably the most recent time that that's happened um, to me as far as things I've read. You know, where I was just like, no, he's the, the nose is walking around in a uniform. You know, it's it's just it's just simply a du- a direct joke. I don't know anything about um, Saint Petersburg in the 30s. You know, so none of the actual topical satirical stuff means anything to me, but the strength of the joke and the and, and the fact that he's actually I I had to read it twice because I wasn't sure that in the way it ends, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't sure whether I'd actually you know take read it properly because I thought it had to be because it's a classic it needs to be stuffier it needs to be less direct it needs there needs to be um, more going on. I need to read up about it before I can appreciate it for for what it is, really. But really, I got I got I got as much um, from it on the first reading as I had from all my subsequent readings, and all and despite all of the reading around it that I've done, you know, mm. it's it's just a collection of really well um, well executed comic scenes.
0: Yeah I just I mean like I I really I, I totally agree with everything you're saying like the first time I read it like I was I was I, I thought it was a good idea to read the Russians um, and uh, you know I'd, I'd, I'd read the Russians and then I came across this and I, I was exactly the same I the audacity I think is quite a good word for it maybe or maybe maybe that just says something about my biases about what a short story should be but you know like Exactly like you, like any anytime I try to, I don't know whether you agree with this or not, but anytime I try to push or force any logic onto it, I don't find it as good. You know what I mean? Like I, that thing about the nose walking around with the, um, with the uniform on anytime I try to go, well, what does that look like? Or, you know, like there's this kind of weird, I think I'm thinking of the word suspension of disbelief or something, but there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's some sort of buy-in that is very easy to make. It, it's almost like an unthinking or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But are you meant to believe that, that the nose has grown bigger in order to walk around? You know, uh, is it this, is it, is it then the same sort of, Knows, you know um but the the way it ends i think is just just, it's such a great kicker um i've got it i've got it here just to jump right to the end of the story before discussing what it's about Um, (laughs) um, it's the the narrator the unnamed narrator who uh sort of is, is sort of like a secondary sort of witness to all these events um in the second to last paragraph talks about okay, now we're going to find some meaning in this story. And one of the things he says is, um, but isn't it strange that authors would bother writing this down at all? Isn't it? You know." And then he ends with saying, um, and yet if you stop and think for a moment, there's a grain of truth in it. Whatever you may say, these things do happen. Rarely, I admit, but they do happen. (laughs) Oh my
0: gosh.
1: And we're meant to be satisfied with that, you know?
0: One of the things that I didn't... Like, when I decided to do this series on jokes, I really didn't expect to find things funny again. I thought that we would be having, like, cold analytical discussions, but I just... Oh, my Lord. Like, yeah, that ending is just so... Oh, God, I just love this story so much. Maybe... I mean, we have leapt to the end, and I've totally been a terrible um, sort of host, and, like, if... What is the one... It feels like this is all based around sort of one proposition or one idea. And that is, correct me if I'm wrong, someone wakes up in the morning and their nose has gone a wall. Is that correct?
1: Yes. But we don't open <laughs> on them. We open on his barber who finds it in a bread roll and is then harangued by his the Herod and wife. Um, for being a drunkard and then he tries to and then he goes to try to get rid of the nose and is approached by a policeman and then the first part of the of the of the of the story story split into three parts the first part of the story is being described and then and then mist comes in and it's un it's impossible to see what happens next <laughs> 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 you know this this thing is being is being reported, and then is just curtailed, you know, by the weather. And then we get to meet the person who knows it is, and and
0: yeah. Um, oh my gosh, sorry. So I I think we're coming at this tangentially, and I think that the um the fact that I can't stop laughing is probably answer enough to this. But I keep trying to work out what why. Why this makes me laugh. Like, I, you know, if, if I had to, you know, like, like you talk about immediacy and directness, and I think that's so true. And I'm just wondering if it's the absurdity of the situation or like, wh- why is it enough to make me laugh? Have you got any thoughts on that?
1: Um, it's, I mean, the short, the plain answer is it's very funny, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think. And I think because it's because it's written as a as a satire, um, I, yeah, I do have something to sort of say. Uh, lots of stuff to, that I think around this, and my thoughts are kind of in flux at the moment around the nature of satire and, and humor. Um, all of his targets in the story are are, are, are specific. He's talking about uh, a specific type of bureaucracy in St. Petersburg. There are uh, places. Uh, that, he, that he that he references that place it in a, in a in an exact time and and place like a lot when you read a lot of the Russians, you know, like in um in Notes from Underground, th- there's all this stuff going on about you know his his position and the and the nature of the society and again the bureaucracy in that time and you know social uh, cues and you know, that, and those sorts of things, but you don't need to know it to appreciate. You know, what is being said about people and about the sort of person that the underground man is, who's not too dissimilar from the person who loses his nose in this in some ways. So, that of vanity, and, you know. Um, so, Chris Morris, who I think is the, with the death of John Clark, the greatest living satirist, he rejects the idea that you can go too far with satire because you're, you know, to the point where the real world over, over, Takes you because you should always take your cue from the real world. So satire will never be unneeded because you can always take a thing further as long as you as long as you have the um, the subject on the end of your spear, you can keep going, right? And more jokes will present themselves because you've chosen the, the thing so well, and you've and you've approached it with intelligence and and an understanding of the foibles and whatnot, you know. But that. That gets conflated, I think, satire and, and, and things that are funny because they are pointing out hypocrisy or vanity um, or taking some sort of moral stand. That gets conflated, I think, with truth-telling um, because, the, because the joke has landed. If the joke lands, then the person telling the joke has a kind of moral authority conferred onto them. Because they've managed to elicit uh, laughter from an audience, you know, and so it's very easy in that state when you have when you have a relaxed audience to then fill them with your point of view. Um, And I think that particularly in stand-up, this gets confused. Um, A person gets a a nervous person gets on stage, gets some laughs, and then thinks, "Well, the audience like me in this context." I should talk about wider issues and get them to agree with me more. And then, of course, you get addicted to people clapping for your point of view. So, this idea of of being of being an an, uh, an entertainer who's after a, who's going after a joke and a sort of quasi serious thinker who's qualified to instruct people on how to think gets sort of conflated, you know. And I, I, I and I think that sometimes. Um, uh, it, it makes it makes sense and it's appropriate, but it's become something that I think people chase. You know, the idea that they're getting into comedy in order to s- spread their idea about the right way to think about about broader issues. And, mm. that, and there's not often there's not the groundwork there. I don't know. This is not this is not awfully uh, cogent talking I'm doing, but yeah.
0: But I think it's really interesting because I think often in the – um, this is one of the things, one of the reasons I like doing the podcast is often in the talking to try and form the ideas, something useful comes out. And I mean, sometimes we don't say it right the first time we say it, but I really I, – I'm really interested in this idea of – um. Like a relaxed audience will, like you've got a degree of, yeah, like you say, like there's this openness. And uh, I mean, I didn't prep you for this question, so you don't have to answer it. But I, I was just thinking about, like, why do we not see it used more in capital P politics then? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, there's a lot of weight given to political rhetoric you know like people who can speak well and be convincing but I'm just trying to think if we've ever had like a funny politician in New Zealand like you know what I mean like I, I, I and this is I'm going to say something terrible now um, but I always equate intelligence with being funny like I I've, yeah like some of the people that I find hardest are the people that don't have a sense of humor and for some in my you know like arrogance I kind of equate that to intelligence but like, have we had a funny politician? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm desperately, like Muldoon used to say some funny things, but they were, yeah, I
1: don't know. Longy is the one that people will generally remember, I think. Um, mm. And I think in, in, in politics, a lot of what's remembered are those quips, you know, Reagan's put downs, Longy's, um, you know, uranium on your breath thing, which is actually a good example of this because it's not necessarily, like, I think in that, in that case, Longy was probably on the right side of things, but it's not as if just making someone laugh should be enough to win you the debate, you know, like a a Mm -hmm. person who is, is funnier, isn't necessarily right, but yeah, but I've obviously, you know, value humor, uh, you know, a lot. I think, I think that, um, I think that people have tried to be funny in the last few years in New Zealand politics and it hasn't really worked because it's also, there's, you've also got to take the job seriously, you know? So yeah, there's
0: a balance there yeah yeah I just think this is this is really interesting to me because it's something I suspected and kind of felt but you've put it into really good words this idea that laughing does some kind of um yeah there's some kind of relaxing that means that laughing feels different in a situation than um feeling angry or feeling you know sad or something like that
1: it it deflates the situation it um you know it's a it's a release of tension obviously it's a it's a it's a small catharsis and 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 uh when when someone has made you feel good you'll listen to them
0: so true um one of the things i really wanted to talk to you about is that um in 2018 you and michael trigger think made a play that's called The Nose. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder about the relationship to this short story and the work that you made. Like, yeah. um, how do you how do those two things kind of sit in your mind?
1: Um well we we called it Nikolai Gogol's The Nose. Um mm-hmm. and it it was uh, a pretty direct adaptation of the nose but put in Wellington in the present day. Um, uh Trig and I come from a theater company called the Bacchanals, And the co-papa of that company is um having a real sort of knowledge and respect for source material, generally classic theatre, um, the Greeks and Shakespeare, and trying to trying to honor the 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 text and what's inherent in in, in the text, um, without putting directorial concepts over the top of things you know um and letting it sort of come up from the yeah le- letting it arise from the text and not necessarily putting it in a certain you know a lot of people when they talk about when they when they think of modern shakespeare uh they they think oh this one's on a beach you know this one's <laughs> in the 50s you know um but but uh but uh uh the bacchanal sort of uh uh um, just use whatever use whatever works to tell the story, and it's not specifically necessarily anywhere. Although when we did Greek plays, it was very much talking about about Wellington, and I think we took the idea of the way we'd approached um, Aristophanes and things um, to create the the nose adaptation. So and and it's and it's as simple as just finding. Parallels with what's in the story and what might be ex- what you might expect to find in Wellington. So he goes to Goldings. He uh, in the morning instead of looking in the mirror, he t- he, he uploads a selfie to Tinder. Um, he goes to Stuff to place an advertisement for his missing nose. You know, it's, it, so it's all very and, and but all of the all of the um, motivations and reactions of the characters are essentially the same. We invented a couple of scenes, but mostly it was the way that um, that Paul Thomas Anderson talked about uh, adapting inherent vice. He had it open on a cookbook stand and, and just wrote a screenplay for every page of the book. And that's essentially um, what we did. There was a direct parallel and it was the same story. And it's fantastic. If you want to write a play quickly, taking a short story that's out of copyright <laughs> is a great way to do it because you, you have you have a structure right there and it and it served as well. Yeah,
0: it was I, I one of the things I remember is like the way that you dealt with the nose and I wonder um can you talk a little bit about the decisions about whether to like have the nose feature at all or and the way that you the decisions you made around how the nose would appear in the in the play.
1: Well, we knew that the nose uh, had to appear um, and so we just made a big papier mache nose <laughs> and put an actor inside it really yeah
0: and that was so that was the decision to say yes the nose is human size the nose has grown human size
1: um yeah we also had a we also had the, the nose when it goes to be reattached there's a prop um you know a, a smaller prop but that's the way that it's generally been done because I realized as soon as I as soon as I read this story I wanted to adapt it and then I realized that Everyone on earth has adapted this short story. It's been <laughs> opera. There was a there was a production, I think, in Adelaide Fringe, the same year that we did ours. And it, it's it's been it's been used as you know, the nose is often used to be a dick and sometimes it's an anti Putin thing. And just you know, it's been adapted so many times and pretty much everyone will do that. We'll have a um a a, a human sized nose walking around. There's a cartoon mm. to
0: Oh, wow. And like, um, I know this, this is, you've kind of explained this in bits and pieces, but I would really like to try and ask one more time about why, why does it work in 2018 as well as, you know, it's so old. And like, I think this is something that I always appreciated about Bacchanals is this, like, are you making it work in contemporary time? But that doesn't sound like what you're saying. Like what it sounds like you're saying is that there are some, there are some emotional, I don't like that word truth, but there's some emotional sort of um, things that have sustained and, and, and are still the same as what we were like when we were, you know, our, our sort of um, species was, you know, in Greece. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Have you got thoughts about that?
1: Well, it's about with the Back and thing, and I should point out also with when when Trig and I did it, it wasn't a Back and show. It was just like we were mm-hmm. just using that that sort of method. But what what David Lawrence, who's the Bacchanals and director, um, yeah, it, it goes back to that thing of finding what is in the text and, and what the author was trying to do initially. So if mm. you look back at a Greek comedy, um, a lot of the a lot of the jokes now don't work because they were Satirical, um, or they were based on an understanding of a certain type of humour that's not that's not cont- not contemporary anymore. But it's mm. not going against the spirit of the text or the author to update that to make it. Um, if you do it with the same sort of, um, if you do it with the same intention that they did originally, you'll get a legitimate reading of that text. The opposite of that is when people overlay. A preconceived idea about how something should be received, and use an old text to do it.
0: You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you're kind of blowing my mind. Sorry, I'm a bit slow. Um, because you're saying so many freaking cool things. Um, but I did want to make sure that we talked about this idea of I, I keep coming up against, and things that I like. I keep coming up against things that talk about this word absurd and absurdism and i found a quote in wikipedia which said the conflict between the human tendency to seek inherent value and meaning in life and the human inability to find these with any certainty um do you have any thoughts about the idea of the absurd in this work or i'm um, even like i want to be careful but i'm thinking even some of your later work there seems to be this really great interplay between you know, desperately trying to find value, the happiness and the sadness of life. You know, the comedy and the tragedy of life, kind of stuff. And I just wonder if you've got any thoughts about that as a whole. <laughs>
1: well, first <laughs> of all, first of all, I think that um, um, that's the sort of thing that you find on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> that makes you know that 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 proves the sort of inherent lie that professors tell students that that's where. <laughs> That their uh, uh, that their you know research should start not finish because I don't think that you'd find a better like example of what <laughs> of, you know the absurd is something that something that because you you, you you were talking about you wanted to ask about cr- crying and and laughing mm, right mm, like, mm, if, but, yeah yeah um, which is not something that I had considered until you um, until you mentioned it like the actual the actual physical things because it's a um, yeah, they are two. You know, put simply, they are they are two obvious ways, physical ways, involuntary ways, in which in which the 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 body you know enacts catharsis. You know, and I hadn't really thought much about that, um, but it makes sense to me that you had, um, <laughs> because um, uh, I was thinking about. We've we've kind of got slightly sort of opposite things going on. You and I, in that I generally write stuff to be performed, and I don't really give much thought to physicality. But you sit down and write a book, and I sit down and read it, and it's full of 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 things to do with the body and things to do with um with with the with the with the ways in which um in the ways in, in 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 which experience is processed by. The, the body um so it's made me th- it's a i have been thinking about it a bit and i think that there are, one thing is there is something kind of funny about someone who's about to cry you know about the sort of <laughs> this febrile state you know um because it because like like laughing it's um because cry- crying is the um you know it like laughing is um an expulsion of Nervous energy, mm-hmm. something that's built up. And so if you can laugh at someone crying, um, it dispels the, the bad feeling associated with crying. And just this week, um, I know that everyone in the world has been talking about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars, right? Um, something that I haven't seen anyone talk about, um, and I hope I might be the first person to say this, is when... When Chris Rock continues, the audience goes straight back into laughing. He's telling his scripted jokes. Everyone, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how Rock sort of soldiers on, even though he's dazed and things like that. And then the the audience gives a standing ovation to Will Smith when he comes up and gets the Oscar. But there's already the collective desire to start laughing again. You know, there's been this immediate disruption and and there needs to be, there needs to be laughter still i think we get we get reliant on those on those on those rhythms and that need for sort of constant release mm
0: mm-hmm. i totally agree and like one of the things that struck me about that um i haven't fully formed this idea but is that i think that one of the things that's often missed out in a performed violence like a, a violence that appears on the movies is that there is there is an awkwardness to violence and, like, a really inert kind of shame that happens, I think. Like, I'm just thinking, like, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was unfortunately somewhere where there was, you know, um an altercation, a physical altercation. And, like, I was just thinking the one thing that, that laughter, because I noticed that um the one thing that I think you're right about, oh, I mean, you're right about lots of things, but the one thing I've been thinking about is that it is, like, Where do we put, like, this is not like I see it in the movies and like, where do we put that awkwardness and the shame of seeing it and the shame of being the one hit and the shame of the one hitting and like, yeah, I think it's really interesting that there was like this return to, um, it, you know, it's, it's so interesting because having been at things, you know, um, there is, there's something social about this desire to laugh, eh? Like there's something social and I think you're right about the rhythm. I really think you're right about the rhythm. Um, You just said something that I want to go back to and I think I might have misunderstood it. So just tell me I'm wrong. But did you say that when you sit down to write a play, you're not overly thinking about how it'll be performed? Just
1: that I'm not overly concerned about the about about the sort of physical element of it and about the um about how it's actually going to manifest itself in space, which is a which is just a a failing of mine because I'm I just I'm just not all that I'm just not all that good on spectacle and movement and stuff like that. But being aware of that I've tried to rectify it. So a show I did recently, I started it by doing a dance because um, it fit, I thought, and uh, I was sort of, you know, challenging myself. You know, you know, five or six years ago, I would never have written that, and that, but that, and that made people uneasy because because they weren't sure whether it was meant to be funny or because it was kind of a sad <laughs> thing, and they weren't sure whether it was meant to be fun, you know, funny or sad. And the first night I did it, there was, it was just silence throughout it. And, and there's silence throughout uh, every, every subsequent time I did it. But the first time I thought, oh, no, this is a huge mistake. <laughs> and, I, and I've got two, two more minutes of this of this number. Uh, yeah. What I realized, I realized what I'd done is I'd, I'd, I'd tried to write a, in a, a, a dumb show at the start of the play that showed everything. But what I'd done is I'd put a jig in at the start where it should normally go at the end. So it confused, you know, people, the audience weren't quite sure how to, how to take it. Because it, particularly if they'd, you know, seen me before, hardly moving at all on stage.
0: Because this, I mean, this is one of the things that I really wanted to ask you as well, is like, to me, all the things we're talking about sounds like, I remember Rachel O'Neill talking about it once, is that humour, like what we decide to laugh at, is something that we agree to kind of in this weird kind of collaborative way, like... Yeah, like I, I mean, like we've always, I don't know. I'm often the dumb one that's laughing when no one else is laughing, and think, "Oops, daisy." Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, you know, this this idea that, oh, uh, we're 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 ready for a jig at the end, but not at the start, kind of thing. Do you think it's possible to write? I don't even know how to put it, but is it is it possible to create funny stuff in isolation, like? I, I was just you know I'm thinking about even people that stand up by themselves on stage are often using the audience as a workshop kind of well I don't know I don't know anything mm. about it, but um like is it important for you to collaborate I guess is what I'm saying or or do you think that's a misunderstanding on my behalf?
1: I, I think for um it, it depends on the on the on the form, you know, um obviously John Kennedy Toole was able to do it by himself you know with with stand up like a stand up show is basically 50 minutes of the stuff that you've worked up in front of an audience to get that reaction out of people consistently uh so it's a it's a it's a different it's a different sort of thing it's not necessarily the funniest stuff um or the or the most um you know or the stuff that's that's most most worth putting you know, thought and effort into it's just the it's just the stuff that that that, that you're able to elicit certain responses for for you know for a, you know consistently over a period of time, and then you give that a shape, and you know, hopefully at the at the end, uh, you make people cry. Is the idea, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, because they're ready to cry because they've been laughing so much. so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah.
0: I'm I'm mainly laughing because I think I'm that audience member <laughs> like I just I just realized now in so much comedy that I watch it's like ha 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 profound you know ha 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 profound you know and like it just um I I realise that uh yeah like I I I find it interesting that um they're almost I don't know like I, I sometimes feel like that, that's why I there almost needs to be this this earning of the laugh you know I need to you know how dare I do something as frivolous as laugh if I'm not thinking hard about things you know
1: yeah it's, it's, it's so funny the innate value we place on being made to feel sad and, and aware of, of, of weighty themes through drama and, and the value we place on on being made to feel good about you know life or the moment we're in through comedy you know there are there, yeah. are, there, have, there have hardly been any um there, there are comedic performances that i think are as as good as the best of dramatic performances you know i think gene wilder is is one of the is one of the, the great actors or he's played a handful of the you know the best film roles ever you know mm. you know with with brando he's up there.
0: I, I totally agree. Like I just feel like even you just talking about that idea, um, okay, another controversial thing I'm about to say. But when I write something that, um you know, like I know that there's a certain tone that I use when I write, which is serious and profound, and like I find that stuff so um, like self obsessive, and it, it, it feels. Do you know what I mean? Like it just feels like I'm pleasing myself, and I'm just like, oh yes, I know how to say these things. Whereas, like every time I hear you or other people talk about comedy, it just feels like this offering, and such an interesting, different kind of way, like this awareness of other humans in the world in a way that often this th- there's a tone that I get and I've been trying to write away from it for years, but I, I feel it and it's like, oh, this is my this is my sort of self-indulgent tone. You know, this is the tone that I use to please myself, you know, and I just think um, it, it just seems so much harder because you, you know, you – not you, but I mean, like I have, I have stood up and tried to make a, a a room of people laugh once, and it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do, and it definitely didn't feel um, that much fun. <laughs> I don't know. Is it fun? Is it fun to write something funny? I don't know, or is it terrible? Oh god. Um. You and I were going to like we've been trying to have this podcast for a long time, but I'm hopeless. And we were going to talk about um a book last time we got together, and I'm interested in this idea. And we're talking about a short story today. Um, I'm just thinking like once you take out, once you um sort of separate the comedian from the audience, you know, I I, I don't know like is that a different act like to write to write a book or a story that's funny versus writing something where, you know, you will, someone will feel the immediate success or, you know, otherwise of a joke.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I reckon so. Um, mm. I, I think they I think they're I think they're probably fundamentally different things. Um, mm. I mean, you don't, you, you don't often see people, uh, you know, very few, Comedians will publish their their um, their routines. You know, some do, some have, um, but you know, no, really, not 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 very many, because it's something that is is contingent on the on the performance it, itself. You know, and often mm-hmm. when you read uh, TV scripts or like reading the Goon Show scripts is not very much fun you know, but um, <laughs> listening to them's another, another, another thing. It's just, yeah, but it's all, it's all ways of getting, the, oh man, I want to, I, I, I want to try to say something about the essential difference, but I'm not sure what it is. Mm. Um, I think that, yeah, both things need some sort of sense of, of indulgence and confidence. Um, but yeah. Oh, this is something I wanted to say earlier, actually, which might br- bring it back round in some way, was that um, once you start on a once you have the, the target or the thing that you want to talk about and you know that inside out, um, it's not necessarily about keeping on making fun at that thing. It's about making the best joke that, that, that fits the new confines. Do you know what I mean? You know, so, so it's not so much self-righteous, you know, righteous indignation about something. It's what's the best joke. And, 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 that, and that wanting to make the best joke is something that I think makes you more more bold. That can work work better than being um, you know, than being indignant about about um some some target. Mm-mm.
0: You know, this word that we keep using, joke. We keep throwing that around. Um, do you and like I mean, that's what's interesting when you look at the structure of the nose. Like as you were saying, like it's sort of in these three parts, these three acts. When we say joke, are we talking about set up punchline um like what does a joke have to have to be a joke like does it always have to have that punchline like the actual structure of it do you have any thoughts on that like this is like i just realized i'm asking the hugest most philosophical question ever but yeah like
1: well it's a good question um uh, um like and uh john john clark uh again he said that um he'd ne- he never liked jokes he was sort of he was sort of dismissive of, of the form of a joke and um, and you know so for him it was all about the nature of the language and and you know you know deeper philosophical and poetic things you know which is which is fine in an interview but the truth was he was exceptionally good at writing jokes you mm, <laughs> know mm, um, mm. and i think um yeah i think a, i think a a, a, a a joke is anything which um resolves itself um in something which uh has the potential to cause laughter
0: mm. god that's a good that is a really good definition that should be in wikipedia it can be
1: book length you know i think or or it can be a couple of words
0: that's so true like yeah like uh, that. that is so true like it can be book length eh? Like yeah, and uh, one thing I was interested in what you were talking about before about this idea of writing um a funny book versus a performance of something funny. Do you? I'm I'm thinking about um I think I'm pretty sure that books have made me laugh out loud, and you know that's me by myself. Like I find it a lot easier to laugh mm. in an audience, but I do think have books made you laugh out loud?
1: I think that the nose is the last time it really happened like that. Yeah, but mm, a, mm. a few times there's like a handful of of times when I've been reading something. And again, it's that sense of the audacity of the sort of the, um, yeah. And it's often, often it's not putting the book down and rolling around on the floor, you know, (laughs) but, but yeah, I have, I have, I have laughed in response to just reading something on the page, you know? Yeah. And it's a little sad because if you compare it to a a, a performance, the author never knows that, you know, the author never gets that, that sort of that immediate connection. Just these things just go out into the world. At least, if you if you're a musician and you record a record, and then you go out and tour it, you get to see people's reaction.
0: And I think this is what I find really interesting is so often when there is a poetry reading or a, um, you know, someone's reading their written work. They, they, I always want to read something funny just because you get that energy back. I think one of the last things, like we're almost out of time, and I feel like we've only touched the surface. But one of the things I'm really I want to go back to satire for a moment and I guess like it's it's quite it's quite a general kind of I guess what I'm interested in is the satire of the nose like I've I've read some really and been in some discussions that I've found a little bit um sad where they try to say that there's a message behind it and you know the nose equals this and the person Mm -hmm. equals that and blah 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 blah. but the satire seems more subtle to me than that I don't know have you got any thoughts on that how do you mean subtle well I just mean like obviously it's not subtle it's really like you know blah blah but it doesn't seem to want to say I, I could be wrong but it doesn't seem to want to say don't be this way or your nose will go missing Hmm. Or is it saying that?
1: Um, I think it's about anxiety, you know, the anxiety um, of social status and virility um, and all that stuff. But I mean, uh, I, I, I wrote when I was writing something recently, um, uh, I, I made a note to myself um, that was something like, it doesn't matter what it's about, just stick to the themes, you know? Um, so it's not necessarily about any of, any of those things specifically but the fact that they're all floating around gives weight to the humor it makes it, it's not it's not just silly you know even though it is all silly that sort of goes back to what i was saying before about him, him knowing what he was doing and that gives him license to go this far with it you know to have the first part of a story end with the mist coming in and you can't see anything
0: you mm-hmm. know
1: which by itself is not is not funny but to, yeah, just this, this um, narrator who comes in and out, you know, comments on the nature of the story being written itself, and it doesn't come across as um, as a rightly indulgence. You know, it's just funny.
0: That's that's so interesting. Like it hadn't occurred to me that you are so right. And I, I, oh my God, I feel like such an adult. But. Like that, I think you're so right about that. The other thing that is funny about it is, you know, we've talked about sadness and laughter, like crying and laughing, but I think fear and laughter and anxiety and laughter are often quite good as well because I guess it's that release again, isn't it? You know, like fear can be like a buildup of tension about something bad's going to happen and then something silly happens or, or the bad thing happens and it's just described in a certain way and it's just like, oh, yeah, hmm. There you go. Those
1: the, those are the three physical, um, you know, re- responses: is the the laugh and the crying and the flinch, you know, mm. the shriek, um, which is why if something is ex- too explicitly sad, too obviously silly and funny, or designed solely to scare you, um, it's it has I think these things have a hard time being taken as serious art because you can't just sit in a in a drawing room or an opera box and and have a stone cold countenance as you you know there's 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 something that's yeah too immediate about it you know for it to Mm. be taken seriously because being taken seriously means not having any physical response being entirely in the head
0: oh my god you're oh my god you're so right like i just tried to think about what it feels like to be serious, and what it feels like to be serious is to not have any, any reaction to anything, and I'm just, now I'm, you know, writing a thesis in my head about how, um, yeah, like, people who are reactive or emotive or, you know, like, show their inner workings are, are seen as less serious as well, oh my gosh, mm. you're blowing my mind, and yeah, that idea of fear, like, um, how... You know, like I, I, think you know a really, really, really good horror film is quite a work of genius as well. But you know, like, um, it, it's hard for people to maintain their intellect while watching that because you know the the terror takes over. Oh my gosh, ah, you're so smart, Johnny. Hey, Johnny, I am just about finished, but I'm asking everyone this question, and you don't have to answer it. We can cut it out if not. But um, I'm really interested in how people who, um, you know how do we sustain ourselves I guess is the question like I mean especially like I'm thinking about theatre and I know you said that thing about moving away from doing a little bit but I mean theatre in particular like if I write or if you write we can sit quietly by ourselves and just do it and all it takes is a pen and paper kind of thing but you know other things take more money and stuff like that and I'm just wondering how do we keep ourselves going as people who engage with art or make art um yeah like financially yes but also like how do we keep our confidence
1: <laughs> You might be talking to the wrong person <laughs> Um <laughs> um Ah oh, man how do we keep our confidence at this particular historical juncture Um I don't I look I I I don't I don't know um except To say that i big you know sort of began by saying as i try to re 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 rebrand as to more of a sort of passive you know sort of uh you know take take inera of of art and i think that that's something that's that you know that that happened in the first lockdown i read more than i normally would i tried i watched movies every night i wasn't necessarily engaging with other people around me um to a huge degree or thinking how to how to pivot uh, and you know move online and pretty much everything about the pandemic has been has had an adverse effect on what I've wanted to do and uh, as far as performance and everything like that but it, it at least has given me a little bit of space to sort of go back to where the impulse comes from which is the, the appreciation and the connection to other people through their work, so and that's that's something you can do anywhere anytime I suppose you know there are enough you're not, not going to run out of books
0: <laughs> and I really love this idea like it's one of the things I've always appreciated in listening to you, um, you know you know like watching your work, listening to you, reading you, all those things is that there is a long this connection can be with Um, you know, with people that lived, you know, 200 years ago. um, You know, it doesn't, and I think that's what's so great, just kind of bringing this all to a thing, is that um, the story, you know, when we laugh, we're laughing possibly in the same way as people did when they first read it. And there's something kind of beautiful about that. And like you say, like there, there, there does seem to be, some kind of hope in that connection which i think is really great
1: yeah that'll do <laughs>
0: yeah that'll yeah. do pig there we go oh my gosh <laughs> thank you so much johnny i love loved talking to you uh
1: thanks a lot uh, yeah thank, um, yeah thanks a thank, thank thanks a bunch it was good to try to give some sort of voice to this all this stuff yeah
0: yeah i love it thank you so much you have a fantastic mind thank you
1: No, that's too much, thanks.